Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets! Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Wow, just as we start the show, they turn off the lights in the building. I had to go turn the light on in my booth. Sorry, guys. I'm ready to go now, I think. We welcome you to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Speed on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett coming to you from... Lefty Smith Rink that is located inside the Compton Family Ice Arena, home of the Fighting Irish Hockey Team, kind of like last year, searching for their offense, averaging two goals per game. They will begin a two-game non-conference series against Mercyhurst University out of Erie, Pennsylvania. Game one of that series is tonight, 7.30 opening faceoff. 7:15 pregame across the country and around the world on the Notre Dame radio network, including right here in South Bend on Quality Rock 94.3 FM. Back at our WSBT studios, we have our producer Jim Arizari and my co-host Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com, covering Notre Dame athletics as part of the Rivals Network. Well, Eric, good to hear your voice on this Thursday. Good to be with you. How are things today as you get set for another Notre Dame home Saturday in just about, what, less than 48 hours? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's been good to get back in the swing of things. It's funny, we've got two games, and then we have another bye week. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I had my bye week cheeseburger, as I mentioned on yesterday's show, so I'm ready to roll. I am, too. Looking forward to seeing this football team. Really curious to get a feel for the atmosphere inside the stadium with the big aspirations now gone and that big win over the rival USC. 
I think the fact that Pat Narduzzi, if these Irish fans know, Pat's not the biggest Notre Dame fan from the mm. standpoint he feels like they should be all in in the ACC. And you know what? I don't disrespect his opinion. It's a viable argument, but Notre Dame has a wonderful agreement. And you know what, Eric? I always say this. I think the ACC needs Notre Dame more than Notre Dame needs the ACC because you look at stadiums across the country. There were 30,000 fans for that Pitt-Wake Forest game down in Wake Forest on Saturday. When Notre Dame comes to town, stadiums are full, parking lots are all jammed together with cars, and they're making money off that. Concessions go pretty well. So I think the ACC does pretty well with this agreement. I think they do, too, and to a certain extent, I can, um, I don't know if respect is the right word I want to say, but tolerate Pat Narduzzi's whining about this. And yeah. I think it's because it's whining <laughs> rather than, you know, a debate or whatever with kind of an intellectual level. But here, here's my thought that sure. really probably should have shut him up is in 2020, Notre Dame was a member of the ACC, went undefeated <laughs> during the regular season, including a 45-3 road win at Pitt. So, I don't know. I, I, do, I do think that Notre Dame does bring a lot. A lot of the bowl packages that the ACC has is because Notre Dame is a <laughs> part of that. Yeah. And so, and, and and I think Notre Dame certainly gets a benefit too. I'm not saying it's all one way. I think it's it's a really good uh, agreement. I don't know how Pat Narduzzi would benefit from Notre Dame being a full time member. Very good point. And I'll tell you what: when Pat retires and he wants to join the InsideNDSports.com live <laughs> chat you have every Wednesday, he's going to have to clean up the whining because whining is not allowed unless it's right. after like a game against Louisville. Otherwise, Eric, we just don't tolerate whining on those chats. That's true. And even then it has to be tasteful or humorous. Yeah. And I'm worried he might break the bare feet rule as well, but we'll worry about that <laughs> when the time comes. All right. Eric and Darren with you on this Thursday advantage game coming up. We'll go through some of the questions Eric was asked in his chat on Wednesday at InsideIndieSports.com and have a Notre Dame football discussion. We have our Twitter question of the day. Six o'clock hour, you will hear from Coach Narduzzi as he talks about Sam Hartman in a Notre Dame uniform. Also, the play of a Notre Dame graduate, Pittsburgh running back Sebo Flemister, and how Christian Vieira is faring right now as the new starting quarterback instead of Phil Jerkovic. Also, we have a little sizzler on the way, and Tim Murray. My good friend from VEASAN.com out in Las Vegas, the diehard Notre Dame football fan who hosts a sports wagering show on VEASAN each weeknight at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We talk all things Fighting Irish. And also I bring up to him a wager I talked about on Tuesday's show at DraftKings Sportsbook. The over-under for Notre Dame football regular season wins is 9.5. If you go over 9.5, it's at plus 165. So if you bet 100, you win 165. Is that a smart bet? I asked him that, and he gives you a different way of maybe going about putting some money on that wager. So we'll get to that coming up in the 6 o'clock hour here on WSBT Radio. But right now, let's get to the world-famous Advantage game where Eric offers you thoughts on six major parts of the next Notre Dame football game, which is against the 2-5 and five Pittsburgh Panthers 3-30 kickoff 
here on WSBT Radio. Our pregame coverage starts at 9 a.m., and it wraps up whenever Jim says they're done with the official Notre Dame football postgame show. Jim and Reggie Brooks will break it all down for you. Hopefully a nice, calm, comfortable postgame show with Notre Dame putting together a nice win, but I think there are some components in this game that might make you pause that Pittsburgh might be able to hang around, and that might come up in our advantage game discussion with Eric. So, Eric, let's get things started with the Pittsburgh rushing attack. I kind of feel like, Eric, they need this to be a big part of their offense when you still have a young quarterback in terms of starts in Christian Vayer. Right now, ready to go to run this offense. It would be awfully nice, I think, for Pat Narduzzi to rely on a Notre Dame graduate or somebody else to get that running game rolling. So what's going to happen on Saturday when you've got Pittsburgh running the football? Okay, so Pittsburgh is 112th in the country in rush offense. You kind of do a reset a little bit with Christian Vieira taking over for former Notre Dame quarterback Phil Jakovic. Uh, who started? Yeah, who started the first five games uh, for the Panthers this year? He uh, Christian has started the last two: the win over Louisville, the loss to Wake Forest. Sebo Flemister also became a starter in the last two games. He was kind of the number two back up until that point. Had a decent game against Louisville, and then went up for over 100 yards against uh, Wake Forest, and that's the first time. Uh, Pittsburgh back has been over 100 yards this year. Notre Dame is 50th in run defense. That's more or less the weakest part of Notre Dame's defense right now. I think they could probably tighten that up. And certainly in this game, when you think about how defensive coordinator Al Golden's going to attack Pittsburgh's offense, I think the most reasoned way to go about that is to attack the run and say we're going to dare Christian Veyer to beat us through the air even though his name has air in it Um, (laughs) so I think Notre Dame is going to win this battle and take down Bo Flemister and the pit run game Sebo looked really good against Wake Forest and you're going to hear the comments next hour but it's not a guarantee, Mr. Hanson, according to Coach Narduzzi, that Sebo's his guy against Notre Dame. Aha. Uh-huh. We'll wait to play back those comments in the 6 o'clock hour, but I think that might have been a word salad. Okay. You agree? It could be. You know what's funny about this um, game, too, Darren, is that Pittsburgh has more members of Notre Dame's 2018 recruiting <laughs> class on its team than Notre Dame has on its team. College football, 2023, in a nutshell, right? That's right. Okay, so check mark goes to? Notre Dame. All right, so that's a good sign when Pittsburgh's run game is halted. Now we go to Veyer and that passing attack. Really, they've got three main targets that they throw to, including a tight end that's averaging 18 yards per catch, so that catches your attention. But, Eric, I... I'll talk more about this in the 6 o'clock hour, but watching the Wake Forest tape, Wake Forest played a lot of cover, too, and their corners played off those receivers. So it was pitch and catch for Veyer and their receivers. If you just want to throw five, six yards, a little out pattern, right. it was like seven-on-seven seven football. It was actually easier than that. 
Eric, it's not going to be that easy with Mr. Hart and Mr. Morrison on the field and Mr. Golan in charge of calling the plays. No. So Pittsburgh comes in 90th in the country in pass offense, 95th in pass efficiency. And Vieira and Jerkovic to this point have very similar pass efficiency numbers. Notre Dame is number four in the country in pass efficiency defense, and that's after having just faced Caleb Williams. You know, yeah. usually when you face him, you're going to take a big drop. They didn't. Uh, so I think this is really a mismatch in Notre Dame's favor. I'd say the biggest mismatch of any of the categories here. I think you're on a good track right there. All right, so both check marks to the Notre Dame defense when Pittsburgh runs it or throws it. Now let's flip the script. It's time to talk about Jared Parker's Fighting Irish offense. Taking on a Pittsburgh defense, Eric, that seems to already have the game plan in place to execute what some other... Yeah, so um, if you're still there, Darren, just let me know. And if you're not, I'm going to answer your question. So uh, Notre Dame is 55th in rushing offense. Pitt is number 45 in rushing defense. And yet it's really been hit and miss with them with their rush defense. They opened with Wofford, which is an FCS team, and that was minus one rushing yards. And so it's kind of skewed Pitt's rush defense a little bit. Cincinnati was able to run on them. Wake, to a certain extent, was able to run on them. But I think, again, Pitt will really lean into what Louisville and Duke did well and that's try to make Notre Dame beat them through the air, and they will probably have an extra player, if not more, in the box on some downs against Notre Dame. So I'm actually going to give the check mark to Pitt in this particular matchup. Okay, so I'm going to keep going with this while we get Darren back, and we're going to go when Endy passes the ball. And... Notre Dame comes in 48th in the country in pass offense and 11th in pass efficiency as a team. Sam Hartman is also individually number 11. And this is where Pittsburgh's weakness is. They're 26th overall in total defense. They don't give up a lot of yards. They do give up a lot of yards and yards per throw and touchdowns. Uh, they're 95th in pass efficiency defense. Um, not the worst team Notre Dame has seen in pass efficiency defense this year, but one of the worst. I think, again, even with um, some of the problems oh, that Notre check, Dame's check, had check. in the passing game, and Darren's back with us, that that uh, Notre Dame's have in the passing game, that Notre Dame is going to win this particular matchup again. Now, the one thing that's that makes it more difficult is Pitt is really good at rushing the passer. They're 11th in the country in sacks, which is actually lower than they have been the past few years. They're usually first or second in the country, but they're averaging almost four sacks a game. So they are going to bring pressure. They're willing to gamble. But again, I think Notre Dame gets the check mark when the Irish are throwing the ball. I guess Pat Narduzzi didn't like my comments earlier. I guess he just cut me off, Eric. Hey, if you're not going to be all in as an announcer, an <laughs> ACC announcer, if you're going to be doing this Big Ten hockey stuff. 
Well, I'll tell you what. The Big Ten's pretty good. I enjoy the Big Ten. So, Pat, you're going to have to deal with Notre Dame being in the Big Ten for hockey. Sorry about that. So I assume that Notre Dame got both check marks on offense. They got both check marks. No, no. I, I actually gave Pitt the advantage when Pitt was on run defense. Really? Yeah. Okay. I thought that's the one area that they're going to load up on that, that they're going to count on that being what make, turns us into the Louisville game. So they're going to say Sam Hartman throw for 400 yards. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, they're not going to let Notre Dame run it. If Notre Dame can throw the ball down the field and right. make plays, they're going to be okay with that. They'll have to adjust, but they're going to make that happen. Right. This is naturally kind of how Pittsburgh plays, that yeah. they're going to lean into their run defense. They're going to take their chances in the passing game, and they're going to bet that even if you get some – explosives on them in the passing game they're going to be able to sack you enough to get you behind the chains and keep you off the scoreboard and their basis for that is in Pat Narduzzi's time at Pittsburgh they've got five sacks or more in a game 27 times now he's been there since 2015 so we're talking almost nine seasons but still 27 times and they are 25 and two when they get five sacks or more wow all right Good stats right there. Eric and Darren with you. The Advantage Game on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Next up in our Advantage Game, Eric, Intangibles. Well, you know, I don't know that there's a lot of intangibles for Pitt other than they have three guys on their team that played for Notre Dame. One of them's the captain, that's Shane Simon, who's a linebacker and who's one of their better defensive players. Sebo uh, Flemister is now a starting running back for them. And then Phil Jakovic is their third-string quarterback. And just, you know, Pat Narduzzi's kind of bad humor about this whole series. <laughs> Notre Dame's won six out of the last seven. Some of these have been pretty close. The last um, game was not the 2020 game in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh did not have its starting quarterback in that game. But Notre Dame is coming off a of bye week. I like the way Marcus Freeman said that he approached the post bye week practices. You know, he wanted to get the players mentally and physically have a break for four days. But then when they came back, they usually have a walkthrough on Monday. They had a hard practice on Monday. They did a lot of ones versus ones because he wanted to create quote-unquote friction, <laughs> getting them back into game mode. I like that approach, and so I'm going to give Notre Dame the intangible here. And, Eric, we wrap things up with special teams. Neither one of these um, programs is tearing it up with special teams. Jadarian Price's touchdown, um, long touchdown kickoff return against USC elevated Notre Dame all the way up to 13th in that category. I, I would say I'm going to give Notre Dame a little bit of an advantage just because – Spencer Schrader has been on a bit of a roll lately. And yeah. if you need to kick a field goal between 50 and 59 yards, he's four of six in that range. There's not a lot of kickers in the country that could approach that kind of percentage from 50 yards and out. So Notre Dame gets a little check mark there. All right, very good. That's our advantage game for tonight. Notre Dame and Pittsburgh 330 kickoff. 
from Notre Dame Stadium. And again, the game right here on WSBT Radio. For more on the matchup, while you're listening to the show, maybe later tonight, check out Eric's website, InsideIndieSports.com. Speaking of that website, that is the place where you can ask Eric questions on Wednesday during his live chat. We've grabbed some questions. We'll talk some Notre Dame football coming up next as Budweiser's weekday sports beat rolls on on this Thursday from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Abby, thank you very much. Sports Beat continues on this Thursday. I'm Darren Pritchett from the Compton Family Ice Arena. Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com, back in our WSBT studios. Before we get to our chat recap, just want to mention this. Polls are poll, but the ACC men's basketball preseason poll came out today, and there are some familiar faces at the top. Duke, number one, they got 44 first-place votes. Miami is second, coming off their final four run last year. They got five first-place votes. Third place, North Carolina with one. Fourth place, Virginia with one. And Clemson, fifth. Where are the Fighting Irish? Well, you have to scroll down just a little bit. Then you got to scroll down a little further. Eric, then you have to maybe Hmm. one more time scroll down because Micah Shrewsbury's Irish are picked dead last in the ACC, 15th place, eight votes behind 14th place Louisville and 57 points behind 13th place Georgia Tech. So polls are polls. They're fun, but I can understand the outside media, Eric, not really believing the Irish because I don't think any of us know what to expect this year because it's a brand-new roster, and we're going to see how these parts fit together very, very soon. But I don't take offense to that because if I'm in South Bend and this was going on at Wake Forest or NC State, I'd probably put that team last too when you consider what about 95, 98% of the offense from last year is gone. Yeah, I think that's um, reasonable. And then when you look at the pieces that they added, I mean, there weren't big scoring pieces Mm -mm. in the transfer portal. They're more players that are ready to kind of make a leap to their next level, maybe more defensive-oriented players, and then they have some freshmen that they're going to really count on on this team. But I will say this. If somebody asks me how I think they'll do, I do think they'll play a little bit above expectations just because they're going to create some matchup problems by how many of them can handle the ball, by how well they'll lean into shot selection, And even though they may not match up well defensively, it's going to be emphasized they're going to come after you defensively. So I like – there's some elements I like about this team. And that's what I love there at the end. They're going to play defense, and that's going to give you a a good chance in every ball game. So that's going to be a a little different philosophy than we're used to. And the other philosophy worked pretty well too. So we'll see how it goes. I'm excited to see Micah Shrewsbury rebuild this Fighting Irish program. Eric, we took some of your questions from your chat with Irish fans at InsideIndieSports.com. The chat was yesterday at noon. The next chat is next Wednesday at noon Eastern time at InsideIndieSports.com. Question number one, Joe from Williams Bay, Wisconsin. I was wondering what you think the problem is with Jordan Patello this year. He seems to be playing very tentatively and seemingly making no impact pressuring the quarterback. Yeah, Jordan has played – 
Jordan has been in a three-man rotation at the Viper end position. He's played 284 snaps this year, which is the most among those guys. The other two, Josh Burnham and Junior Tuihalamaka, have been around 100. And then Bubakar Triori got on the field against USC and got a sack, and he may be able to work his way into that rotation. I think um, let's talk about Jordan first, and then we'll talk about the other guys. I think Jordan went from being a guy that was a niche player. Ironically, the best thing he did was pass rush, but he wasn't very good in run defense. He was not a particularly disciplined player. He got a lot of penalties. And I think his focus this offseason was getting rid of those deficiencies. I think in that process, there's a lot for him to think about. He's moved back and forth between linebacker and Viper during his career. And and in the process, he lost a little bit of his pass rush edge. Um, I wouldn't give up on Jordan Botello. I think if he decides to come back to Notre Dame next year for a fifth year, we'll see a much more complete, more explosive player. But right now, some of the younger guys are surging. Josh Burnham has played at a really high level the whole season. When you look at you know, the pro football focus grades, Burnham's grade is one of the higher ones on Notre Dame's defense of anybody, and it continues to get better. And then if Bubakar Chorori can show that he can play on running downs and then having him on the field for pass rush, you, you may expand that to a four-man rotation and get him in the mix. So I wouldn't say, I, I mean, Botello, you know, maybe the bye week will be good for him and he'll, He'll have a resurgence. I still think there's a really good player there, but he hasn't shown it consistently this season. Next up, Eric, what do you know about the status of future Notre Dame-USC games with the Trojans joining the Big Ten next year? I hope the rivalry can continue, but wonder if the mid-October games in South Bend and late November games in L.A. will be affected. Your thoughts? Well, that's on my checklist the next time I have a chance to sit down with either outgoing AD Jack Swarbrick or incoming AD Pete Bavacqua. But what I do know is this, that the contract, the current contract, goes through 2026. And then USC going into the Big Ten complicates things. Certainly both sides have said they'd love to continue this series. The question is, can they get a a mid-October, late-November kind of setup that they have now uh, with, you know, there being a lot of moving parts here. They're also now, you know, usually what happened was they would flip-flop with Stanford, whoever came in to Notre Dame in mid-October, then the other team would host Notre Dame on the West Coast after Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving. But now Stanford's going into the ACC. Does this complicate things further? Again, on all fronts, they want to continue these series on a yearly basis on both sides, but it's a matter of working out the details. The AC seemed, seemed to be shopping at blue light specials and adding some teams from my standpoint. <laughs> okay, okay, next up. Well, Eric. at least they, you didn't have to pay full price. No, you didn't, actually. They got a pretty good discount. Okay, so next question. I know Coach Freeman discussed offensive execution and simplifying, I'll throw in clarity as well, during his press <laughs> conference on Monday. 
but do you think there are other areas where they are trying to improve offensive effectiveness? Any chance they're looking at run-blocking schemes considering how easily opponents seem to be defending the run? While Jared Parker may be new to the offensive coordinator role, shouldn't the input and experience of Rudolph and Guduli mitigate that and accelerate overcoming these issues? Well, I know the one thing that they're not putting in is a reverse pass in the red zone. Um, but, but other than that, I hope they do. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be funny? Let me address the second part of this first: the yeah. Jared Parker uh, benefiting from Joe Rudolph's experience and Gino Gadulli's experience as offensive coordinator. So Joe was uh, the offensive coordinator at Pittsburgh in the regime that was just ahead of Pat Narduzzi coming. In fact, Joe Rudolph was the interim head coach when Pat Narduzzi was hired. And then Gino Gadouli has um, some offensive coordinator experience from his time at Cincinnati. Not a lot of it, but he has some. And I think during the week, and, and even on game day, there's some great interactions there. But you realize a lot of these decisions have to be made on a split second. And so in the heat of the game, it's not like, you know, Gino's sitting next to Jared in the press box. Gino is on the sideline. Um, and so he's got to make those decisions. So I think it mitigates how much that they can help Jared Parker. I'll give Parker credit. A lot of guys would either be too insecure or have too big of an ego to invite that kind of feedback from those other offensive assistants. He's very open to it. And as far as what they're going to do differently, I mean, the obvious thing is they have to be able to throw down the field. They have to be able to get their passing game going so they can unload the box. That's job number yes. one. Some of the nuances that the questioner asked about here, they're not going to discuss publicly whether they are doing new blocking schemes or things like that. I would, I would say... I wouldn't look for a lot of wholesale changes from what he mentioned to improve. I think, again, simplifying rather than changing things, I think is where we're going to see um, what Marcus Freeman wants to do to improve the offense. And I think having healthy wide receivers is going to help too. And the whole Rico Flores, Tobias Merriweather question at the field, receiver position, how many reps each of those two get, how effective they can get, that's going to affect the passing game too. So not not a lot of wholesale changes. Okay, as I set up the rest of this segment, I want you to look at your phone because I think I have breaking news on a picture I just sent you. You'll hear Eric laugh in about 10 seconds, and then I'll do the breaking news at the end. All right, next up in our InsideND.com chat recap, Eric Hansen, Darren Pritchett with you on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on WSBT Radio. Did the picture send? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> All right. The wow is good enough for me. Okay. Eric, <laughs> just as you were answering that question, I had to do it. I'll explain. I'll let the inside joke happen here in a minute. Okay. Okay. Now that we're on the backside of the season, is it time to look who is going to be the next Notre Dame quarterback? Is Angeli up to the task? Anyone behind him? Or is the transfer portal going to fill the gap again? 
Well, I ha- I thought I had a pretty good answer to this, and yet this inspired me to ask this question to Marcus Freeman today in the Zoom, and he gave a great answer. He did. So I'm going to go with his answer over my answer, and that is, um, you know, they started to do the calculus on this in August. They were looking at these guys during training camp when they got a really extended look, and by these guys, I mean Steve Angeli and Kenny Minchie. Steve Angeli is a sophomore Kenny Minchie is a freshman. The other player that's in this mix is C.J. Carr, who's a senior at Saline High School in Michigan, high four-star quarterback, and he'll enroll in January, so he'll be here for spring football. So really it comes down to are you going to entertain a portal option? And Marcus Freeman said, you know what, that's on our docket for things to do in the next bye week which runs November 5th through the 11th. So that's when they're going to kind of finalize their plans. And they really kind of have to do that, Darren, because the portal opens this year on December 4th and closes on January 2nd. Now, that doesn't mean you can't take a transfer after January 2nd. That means players can't jump in the portal unless they're grad transfers. They can do it any time. But underclassmen can't jump in after January 2nd until – the window reopens in April. So they've got to be ready to go because if you're competing for the top quarterbacks, you're having third-party discussions with those quarterbacks before the portal even opens. So I thought Marcus' answer, he he felt like they have gotten to know Kenny Minchie, Steve Angeli a lot better that Sam Hartman's presence on the roster has really helped those guys become better prospects. Otherwise, I think a portal guy would be automatic. And Marcus talked in terms of numbers, but here's the thing to really watch here, Darren. Let's say they take a portal starter. I mean, a guy that's surefire starter. So that gets you up to four, but then do you lose Minchie or Angeli because of that transaction? Last year, they lost two quarterbacks. One in December, one in April, because they took a portal quarterback. We've got Kurt from Warsaw. Eric, can you see the Irish passing more against a defense like Pittsburgh? And I would say, Kurt, heck yes. Um, That's what Pittsburgh doesn't do well. And that's also the path out of Notre Dame seeing a loaded box every week from its opponents. So absolutely, that was an easy yes. Okay. But you still want to be balanced. I mean, the the key is you always want to put that opposing defensive coordinator in a run-pass dilemma. But, yes, to do that, they're going to have to pass more and pass better. Okay, I've got time for one, maybe two more. Okay. Adam from Dayton, Ohio. Maybe too broad of a question for a chat, but he says he'll try anyway. You have seen Notre Dame in all forms. Great, hold some parentheses, very good, Kelly in parentheses, and subpar, in parentheses, Davey Willingham-Weiss. What sense, vibe, do you get to the program that Marcus Freeman is building, and where would you bet he will fall on this spectrum? My sense is, at this point, 22 games into his era, that he would be above Davey Willingham-Weiss. I've seen enough, especially with recruiting on both sides of the ball. Right that I would put him above that. I would put him right now on a trajectory to kind of be in the Kelly range, 
with the possibility of raising that to the Lou Holtz range, and this is why. I think Marcus has a pretty good learning curve. I've seen improvements over him. Yeah, we've seen some, uh, you know, we've seen some steps back. We've seen the ten men on the field, some of the operational things, but I do see more steps forward. Um, and so I think if he continues down that road, combined with his recruiting, he can continue to recruiting. And if Notre Dame helps him out, and I mean by Notre Dame, I mean the academic side of things helps him out with a little bit broader interpretation of transfer students. Marcus has a chance to be between Kelly and Holtz. Okay, let's see if I can sneak this one in. Eric, we've got Jerry from Portland, Maine, okay. and he wants to know, if you're a betting man, who would you say comes into the 24 recruiting class before signing day, if anyone, and also any indication of early enrollees? There's a couple of um, there's a couple of guys they may flip. They're trying to flip four players. I think Carter Nelson, a tight end who's committed to Nebraska, Ugboko is a defensive lineman who's committed to Georgia. I'd say those two have the best chance. I don't think Justin Scott's coming. I don't no. think Caleb Beasley's coming. As far as the early enrollees, the ones that we do know are C.J. Carr. Cam Williams, Micah nice. Gilbert, Styles Prescott, Peter Jones, Sean Saviano Jr., Logan Thomas, and Kingston Viliamu Asa. Definitely not coming. Logan Sadalte early, Bodie Cahoon, uh, Carson Hobbs, and Tabron Benny Powell. The rest are up in the air. We don't know yet one way or another which one they're doing. Okay, very good. And we heard one of our individuals who wrote in your chat mentioned Lou Holtz by the way Lou is now 0-2 predicting Ohio State games this year we will take a time out and again if you'd like to join Eric for the next chat go to InsideIndieSports.com that's InsideIndieSports.com Wednesday at noon Eastern Time Twitter X question of the day coming up next on WSBT This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I forgot to do the inside joke at the last segment, so I'll tell you, I sent Eric a picture of, of the hockey suite here at Notre Dame that's across from me where Andy Ludwig, the Utah offensive coordinator, that famous shot of him being on TV sitting next to Coach Freeman. Well, there are name tags on the seats tonight, so I'm like, Eric, something big's going to happen tonight so we could have breaking news here at the hockey game so who knows who's going to be sitting in those seats but it just reminded me that's where Ludwig was sitting and Eric we have name tags on seats so be prepared for breaking news tonight okay I'm already I'm I'll listen to your broadcast and you can scream it over the air but it's kind of ironic and funny you oh you get it's it. hilarious yeah yeah Okay, Twitter question of the day yesterday at 960 Sportsbeat, sitting with a record of 6-2. and two, And Notre Dame has Pitt, Clemson, Wake Forest, and Stanford on the schedule. Your expectation is the Irish will end the regular season 10-2. said yes, that is my expectation. Only 14% said no. Eric and I went with the yes yesterday. Now let's get to today's question, again at Twitter X. My account is at 960 Sportsbeat. What is the most likely outcome of the Notre Dame Pitt game? Four choices. Number one, Notre Dame wins by 1 to 14 points. Choice two, Notre Dame wins by 15 to 24. Third choice, Notre Dame wins by 25 or more. 
fourth choice pit wins. As you answer the question, Eric, why don't you pass along your score prediction? I my choice is if my math is correct, Notre Dame wins by fourteen to twenty four points, and I am picking the Irish thirty one to ten. Okay. Well, I've got thirty four seventeen right now, Notre Dame. So I am in that same group of numbers. So actually, you're in the upper one. I'm in the second one. So we actually are in different ones. So we have plenty of time to make changes before our game day show on Saturday. You have 14 in the first and the second categories. But online I fixed it. That was a typographical error that was made. There was not enough clarity, Eric, so I clarified it online. (laughs) You threw a reverse pass in the red zone. Don't you understand what clarity means? (laughs) It's not the play caller's fault. I didn't mess up. Okay, so that is the question. Vote on my Twitter account. At 960 Sports Beat. Eric, we got about 40 seconds for what's coming up at InsideIndieSports.com. Well, I have a notebook today. I te- really teased out the whole 2024 quarterback thing, including how the schedule sets up for that. Uh, also in that notebook is how Notre Dame deals with sign stealers. And then, uh, seriously, it was <laughs> yeah, good, I know. good stuff. Um, Tyler has an opponent outlook. We have a recruiting story from Charleston. The chat transcript is still up. Podcast from earlier this week with Miles Boykin, former ND receiver, and much, much more. Eric, good to talk to you. I will see you at the stadium on Saturday for Game Day Sports Beat, brought to you by Bud Light at noon. I will see you. I will see you as well. All right, Eric, thank you very much. We've got another hour of Sports Beat. Coming up next, you'll hear from VEASAN's. Tim Murray on the Notre Dame-Pittsburgh matchup. Sportsbeat continues in a moment on WSBT South Bend. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday Sportsbeat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sportsbeat with your host, Darren Pritchett. And we welcome back to the program Tim Murray, Notre Dame football fan and host of Eason's Primetime Show, which is on the air every weekday starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Check out Vison from Las Vegas on YouTube TV and at VSIN.com. Well, a bye week for all of us last week, Tim, that are associated with Notre Dame football. It was good to catch our breath after a 6-2 and two start to the season. And it's always fun watching the rivalry game, Notre Dame and USC. You get to watch it from the West Coast, probably around some USC fans. What was your big takeaway from Notre Dame disposing of their arch rival? Yeah, it is funny. Uh, My neighbor, who my son plays with his kids on a regular basis, is a big USC fan. (laughs) And uh, I saw him right before the game kicked off, and he goes, I bet you, uh, I bet Notre Dame. I'm like, oh, really? So USC folks, uh, at least my neighbor, was not uh, believing in the Trojans. Look, I, my big takeaway from, from that game was this defense is the real deal. And, uh, you know, Al Golden is, uh, is St. Al Golden right now after that <laughs> performance, you know. And, uh, you know, it's funny how the ebbs and flows of, of coordinators go, um, but you know what a performance by the D uh, to go at Caleb Williams after he. I don't know if I want to say embarrassed, but you know he certainly kind of toyed with that defense less than 12 months ago in in L.A. and and for him to have the performance 
that he did and for that defense to step up like they did certainly was encouraging. And I think, you know, certainly I imagine something that you've talked about and, and I've thought is, you know, you know, Marcus Freeman, who is a guy that I think most Notre Dame fans want to succeed. I certainly want to succeed. Yep. And we have our questions. He can get teams up for the big moments. I mean, to have two top 10 wins already under his ledger. And I know USC is a, you know, number 24 now and, and probably will finish that season unranked if you look at their schedule. But I, I do love the fact that Marcus Freeman certainly has the ability to get his team to rise to the moment. And I think the next step, obviously, is to have that sustained success, not to be too high, not to be too low. And I know his mantra this year is, is what, one play, one life. And uh, I know he, he wants that to continue over. So I think there's a big test this weekend. Pittsburgh's not very good, uh, but you know, Darren, and I think yep. many of your listeners know, I know all too well, Pat Narduzzi, Pittsburgh, it just it always feels like a, a root canal when you play this team. And I think another reason why we should all be concerned is Pittsburgh goes all in and stopping the run and dares you to throw. Well, what have we seen Notre Dame opponents do the last month? That very thing. So Notre Dame is going to face that same defense, and this is their meat and potato. So it kind of, again, Tim, no matter where people stand, if you think it's execution, if you think it's making the offense simpler, if you think it's play calling or strategy, it all needs to get better this week. Because, Tim, I've asked my guests this. Because against USC, you scored 48. The defense had seven. The special teams had seven. The defense set up the offense for a lot of short touchdown drives. And when you get, if you want to get nitpicky, the drives that you had to go a good chunk of yardage, you know, Notre Dame's offense didn't do much. So on a night in which you won and you're thrilled, if you get nitpicky, were you a little disappointed in the offense throughout that ball game? Or are you one of those individuals, hey, we won, we'll worry about what happened wrong, you know, next week? I think there's somewhere you, you can meet in the middle. Um, I, I thought certainly some of the play calling from Jared Parker and the execution from the offense had some had some things to still be desired. Um, you know, the Chris Tyree big strike was something that I think Notre Dame fans have been fawning for for quite some time and it came at a critical moment right at, in, in the game where it felt like maybe the tides were turning a little bit as did the price kickoff return so I'm a little bit in the middle because I'm not going to knock Notre Dame because when they did get the ball and needed to score they scored touchdowns you and I think that was really big for that game was you know early on you get that interception and you get the third down and, and, you know, the pessimism starts to creep in like, oh, man, are they going to settle for a field goal here? And they're able to get the ball out to uh, uh, Jabron Payne and, and get in there for a touchdown. So I, I think there's a little bit in the middle. Um, I, don't, I wasn't, you know, overly doom and gloom, but, you know, three of ten on third down, certainly something that needs to be cleaned up. And, and you're right. I mean, I think for this Notre Dame team, uh, a question that we had coming into the year was the playmakers of wide receiver. And, I think you could make an argument that the, the wide receivers have, have underachieved. You know, Chris Tyree's made some big plays, which is exciting. You know, Mitchell Evans, you know, has, has been a, a really big boom this year. Uh, who knows about Jordan Faison? Could this be, you know, a type of player that, you know, ends up making a big splash over his career? But uh, you're looking at another game where, you know, Tobias Merriweather, you know, was, was missing in action. So you, you've got to figure out, you know, Jaden Thomas, can, can he get back healthy, which, you know, Marcus Freeman said he was, you know, this week. So 
this Notre Dame team, we know they're not a playoff team. Uh, there's, there's a real good chance to make a New Year's six. I mean, Penn State losing on, uh, on Saturday was, was big for Notre Dame's hopes, in my opinion, because now if Penn State loses to Michigan, we'll find out the rankings on Tuesday night, uh, courtesy of the committee. But my belief is if Notre Dame runs the table, Penn State loses again, I think Notre Dame's got a pretty good shot of getting into a New Year's six. And, and I think if we go back to all our predictions in the preseason, I think that is, is totally acceptable for, for what we thought of this team. My prediction was 9-3, and three, and uh, hopefully I'm wrong, and hopefully this is a 10-2 and two football team and a chance to you know, end a streak that has been going on for three decades. Tim Murray from VEASAN is my guest, talking Notre Dame football on WSBT Radio. Tim, ultimately, at the end of the day, the job status and the, the way things go the last few games involving Jared Parker – Marcus Freeman, the AD, they will decide if this is good enough going forward. Can you win a national championship with Jared Parker as offensive coordinator? So their opinions, really all that matters. But for the fan base, I mean, Tim, you hear it too. There's a lot of uneasiness. Do you think Jared Parker over the last four and or five games can do something that can change the tide amongst the fan base. I mean, is there opportunities here for him to impress? And maybe from your standpoint, what would you like to see? Yeah, I think there is, you know, and, and look, you know, it's, it's really difficult. And, you know, we, I live in this, we all live in this world of hiring and firing and getting rid of people. And then I take a step back and, you know, Marcus Freeman's grilling Tim O'Malley at the press conference talking about flag football, and you know that all the coaches are at that game too. And you're just like, you know, these are these are humans, and I, you know, they they get paid a lot of money, and it's a very uh, high pressure job, and they know what they get into, right? And they know that if they don't aren't successful, uh, that they could you know be be done with. So it, I take a I take a step back sometimes. I'm like, man, I I'm just thinking so black and white here, and not seeing some of the gray. That'll being said, like I think Jared Parker should feel a little bit of pressure right now. You know, the first four, it's kind of been a, 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 a so far to me, it's been a 4-4 start of the season where the first four games you felt really good about the offense, and you could throw Ohio State in there. I, I think it's fair to say that Jared Parker and the offense actually executed quite well, you know, outside of some, some play calls down the stretch, you know, the, the, the screen pass that we all still remember to this day uh, that, you know, would have won the game if it was there. Obviously, it wasn't there. And then, you know, Audrick Estime not getting another run. But is that Jared Parker? Was that Dylan McCullough? We don't really know. Um, but I think these last four plus one, so five games, I, I think they can really tell us something. You know, um, you're going to play a good defense in Clemson on the road. Uh, you're going to play a team that is led by a, you know, a really smart defensive mind, even though I think all of us can't stand him and Pat Narduzzi you're probably going to play a pretty darn good team in a bowl game. So I think that Jared Parker and this offense can turn some of our, our minds around of, of how, they, how they play down the stretch here. You know, were they able to self-scout a little bit in this in the bye week? And now that you've got Jaden Thomas and, and Jaden Greathouse back, you maybe have your full arsenal, including Faison a little bit too. Can you be a little bit more creative? Um, you know, how much, when you take a step back, is it on Parker? Is it on the fact that these wide receivers really have, have not stepped up to a, a level that we thought they would? So um, I, I think these last four and five games are, are pretty critical. 
uh, for Jared Parker. If, if we see a lot of the same, and I think it is a situation where you've got to, you know, make a, a tough decision if you're Marcus Freeman because, you know, you're Notre Dame. You're, you're a program that wants to be, especially when this playoff expands next year, Darren, you want to be in the playoff every single year. And is Jared Parker a good enough play caller to be that type of, you know, type of guy? And, and not to bring up old memories, but, you know, for a little while it felt like, oh, you know, maybe Notre Dame dodged a bullet with Andy Ludwig, right? Well, then you watch on Saturday night, and you're watching Utah against USC, and they're missing their quarterback, their top two tight ends, and they're using a, uh, a, a former safety to, to carve up this USC defense for five catches, 149 yards, nine rushes for 68 yards. So, you know, it'll be very interesting to see how these final four games go because I think you and I would be of the same mindset. I mean, barring utter catastrophe – Marcus Freeman obviously is coming back next year. Yes, Al Golden will be would be would be very welcomed back. Will he come back is a different question. If he gets another opportunity somewhere else, I think you've got to assess over these last four or five games: Is Jared Parker a national championship level offensive coordinator? Tim, we look at this week. Pittsburgh is in town. You look at DraftKings Sportsbook. The Irish right now are favored by twenty and a half points. What is your read on that line? I'm going to take Pitt. I mean, I don't really bet on or against Notre Dame all that often, but, you know, I've I've had a decent read on on Notre Dame. Pitt's not very good, but we all know that this this spot, you know, it's probably not going to be an incredible environment. What can, you know, coming off of USC and Ohio State as your last two home games, I mean, it's going to be much like what we saw probably earlier in the year. Um, And, you know, this is a Pitt team that, has a backup quarterback in there now, um, has familiarity with Sebo Flemister as a running back. I mean, look, they are not nearly as talented as Notre Dame. There's no denying that. Heartbreaking loss last week against Wake Forest. But this is a team that we've seen moments where Notre Dame can blow them out. I mean, Pat Narduzzi and his hard-headedness decided to single cover Will Fuller however many years ago, and he went for three touchdowns. But Notre Dame doesn't have Will Fuller. So I think you're going to see Narduzzi really make it tough on Notre Dame to get things going. Uh, I think under might be a way to look, too, because that all being said, if this Notre Dame defense is buttoned up like it has been, Darren, I think it's a pretty closely contested game here. Uh, or excuse me, I, I think Pitt, I should say, is really going to struggle to get much success at all. And you look at their win over Louisville, and I'm sure some Notre Dame fans might be pointing that out, like, oh, my gosh, this team beat Louisville. Look, I bet Pitt in that game. It was pouring rain. It was a game that they were losing at halftime, Pitt was. And then in the second half, Jake, Jack Plummer just kind of vomited on himself. I mean, that was a game <laughs> where Louisville had 28 first downs to Pitt's 13, 430 to 288 in total yards. So I'm not really nervous about Pitt's offense. I'm more worried about if Notre Dame makes mistakes that Pitt could capitalize on that. And I do think this could be a struggle early on for the Irish to, to get some consistency going uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Tim Murray from Vison is my guest. I want you to do a little sports gambling 101 because I sent you a direct message a couple of days ago. Yeah. And I was just looking at various wagers involving Notre Dame athletics and I just accidentally stumbled across a DraftKings sportsbook Notre Dame football future and it was 
over under nine and a half victories for the Irish during the regular season. Well, they sit at six, and you could argue they're going to be the favorite in their final four games. And if they win those four, they're ten and two. And if you go over nine and a half, it was at plus one sixty-five, which is kind of a flashy number. When you see a wager like that, should we put up red flags? Should you attack that? How do you describe to the beginning sports fan about those type of wagers? Yeah, it's really a good question. And and look, you know, if you want to put down a little money on that, obviously plus 165 equals $100 would make you $165 if it comes home. The, the What I told you, Darren, was what I would do if you want to make that bet is just bet the money line against Clemson. Because Notre Dame is actually probably going to be Depending on this weekend, a, a slight underdog really? at Clemson. Okay. Um, yeah, I, mean, I talked to an odds maker last week who had the number I think like Clemson minus two and a half. It might change, um, you know, based off of obviously Clemson just lost to Miami, and uh, we'll see how they fare against NC State. But I think you're going to be a little surprised at that number. Notre Dame might go off the favorite, um, but I, I would just bet the Clemson game because that's kind of what it tenders on. And if you put that money on that bet, right, you're going to have to wait until Thanksgiving weekend to cash that. So you're <laughs> sitting there for a month with your money there where I think it really just comes down to Clemson. So if you really want to you know, continue to, to bet it, what you can do is called a money line rollover parlay. So you would, let's say, you know, we, we'll, we'll bet Clemson, you know, Notre Dame beats Clemson on the money line. That bet comes home. You could take all that money put it on the money line against Wake Forest, and then take all that money and put it on the money line against Stanford. Now, look, you're going to be paying big, big prices on those particular games because Notre Dame's probably going to be around a three-touchdown favorite in both of those games. But that's one avenue if you want to go that route. But personally, I think you're going to get a little plus price on Notre Dame against Clemson. It's going to be small. It won't be plus 165, Mm -hmm. but I think it all hinges on that. So that's the way I would recommend doing it. If you uh, if you are jonesing for it, but look, I wouldn't fault anyone for for taking that. You just have to recognize that uh, you've got to wait a month, you know, to bring that cash home. That instant gratification necessarily not necessarily there, um, you know, as opposed to like playing a win total preseason where you've got a lot of different outs and potential wiggle room. Uh, if a team that you bet over or under on the win total, you know, loses or wins a game that you expect them to uh, to have the uh, opposite result. Great advice. One final question for you. There were seven NFL underdogs that won in week seven. How happy were the sports books last week? Uh, very. <laughs> uh, it was a great day for the sports books. And I'll give you even one other game that was a very popular dog. And uh, on my show, I always mention it. You know, Chris Felica coined the phrase, so I'll give it to him. But it's called a dog with fleas. A <laughs> dog that the public likes is is worse than a favorite that the public likes because man, a, a public dog is, yeah, that is uh, that is something. And everybody thought Detroit was going to beat Baltimore as a three point dog, and obviously they got absolutely hammered. So it was a very good week for the books. Uh, the books that I have talked to out there, you know, you think about Monday Night Football with the San Francisco 49ers going down, the Buffalo Bills obviously losing as a you know north of a touchdown favorite at New England. So that the house was uh, was quite pleased, and you know they're back at it this week, and they're back at it tonight. Where I'm sure 
ultimately, you know, they'll be looking for the Buccaneers. Uh, they'll be looking for the Commanders on Sunday when they play Philadelphia. So, yeah, there's no doubt. It never stops the house. Uh, they're always uh, looking for those ugly dogs, and uh, and I'm usually I'm usually there with them. So uh, we'll see uh, if it all comes home this weekend. But no doubt, it was a very uh, very profitable weekend for the house uh, with that NFL Sunday. Always appreciate your time, your knowledge, and your information. Have a great show tonight, and enjoy, hopefully, watching a nice, smooth Irish victory. But, yeah, you're right. It's Pitt. Never never assume it's going to be easy against those guys, but maybe they'll get it done easily. Let's hope so. There's something about Pitt. I don't know what it is. Pre-Narduzzi, it's just it always is painful. The Tyler Palco game, uh, there's just – the Stefan Tuitt targeting that wasn't a targeting get penalty, you know, obviously the four overtime win against Pitt in 2012. It's just, I know we've had a couple laughers, you know, with uh, the Will Fuller game in, uh, in 2015, I believe it was, or 2017, I can't remember which year it was, and then, you know, the COVID season. But, oh, man, if it, if it is uh, an easy sit-back rocking chair type of win, man, I will be a happy camper on Saturday afternoon. Good to be with you, Tim. We will talk to you next week. All right, Dan. See you, man. That is Tim Murray from VEASAN. Sportsbeat continues next on WSBT. I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Uh, here at Notre Dame, to have a chance to play these kind of teams, you have an opportunity to jump up and, and maybe in some ways be a spoiler. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. We're talking about Stanford. Yeah, if you want to ask me a question about Stanford, I'm all ears. I'll pass. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And most of the football players who chose USC over UCLA because it's easier to spell. We welcome you back to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Thursday, October the 26th of 2023. I'm Darren Pritchett from Notre Dame's Compton Family Ice Arena, where tonight the 2-3 and three Notre Dame hockey team will take on Mercyhurst in Game 1 of a two-game non-conference series. You can hear this game on the Notre Dame Radio Network, including right here in South Bend. You can hear the contest on our sister station, Quality Rock 94.3 FM, pregame at 7.15. Opening faceoff is set for 7.30. But right now, back to Notre Dame football talk. We've got the Pittsburgh Panthers coming to South Bend to take on the 6-2 and two Fighting Hours 3.30 kickoff here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This Pittsburgh team, you think back a couple of years ago, they defeated Sam Hartman and Wake Forest for an ACC championship. Now Pat Narduzzi's team is coming to South Bend a little wounded. Well, first off, it's no secret Pat Narduzzi, the head coach of Pittsburgh, has been outspoken about Notre Dame being a partial member of the ACC playing these four to five ACC games every year and not being a part of the rest of the conference in other sports. And Pat has lost to Notre Dame quite a bit. He lost Kenny Minchie, who decommitted from Pittsburgh and is now the third-string quarterback on this Fighting Irish football team. So I'm sure Pat is not high, or I should say Notre Dame is not high on Pat's favorite things list so he probably is a little extra hungry to try to beat the fighting irish on saturday but 
He's got a 2-5 and five football team. They beat Walford in their opener 45-7. Then they lost four consecutive games. They lost at home to Cincinnati 27-21, a loss at West Virginia 17-6, a home loss to North Carolina 41-24, and then Virginia Tech and Blacksburg, they took care of Pittsburgh 38-21. Then the shocker, after Notre Dame lost to Louisville, Louisville went to Pittsburgh and fell to the Panthers 38-21. And last week, the bizarre 21-17 loss at Wake Forest where the Pittsburgh quarterback Christian Vieira slid feet first, thinking he had the first down, but it's where you start the slide. They felt like he had not gotten to the first down marker, so instead of ending the game there with that first down, they had to punt. Wake Forest went down and threw a game-winning touchdown pass, and the Deacons beat the Panthers 21-17. This is a Pittsburgh team that has scored 172 points. They've given up 172 points. And right now, they're a couple of games into a quarterback change as former Notre Dame Highly thought of recruit, Phil Dracovic was benched after five games. Christian Veyer, who transferred in from Penn State, is now the starting quarterback. And right now he's doing an okay job. But let's hear from Pat Narduzzi talk about this matchup with the Fighting Irish. First, from the perspective, as a coach who faced Sam Hartman when he was at Wake Forest, what does he think of Sam Hartman putting on a Notre Dame helmet? How has it changed him? How does the offense give Sam more possibilities for a future in the National Football League? Yeah, um, you know, obviously totally different offense. He's in a pro-style offense. He's actually huddling up and taking snaps under center. So you've seen him progress to more of a, you know, if he's going to play in the NFL, it's going to have to be in that type of offense, not what they're doing at Wake Forest. So, you know, I think he's probably enjoying it um, just because, you know, you know, I think it's every you know childhood kid's dream to, to play in the National Football League, and he's going to have an opportunity just by being able to you know make run checks, sit underneath the center, and and do all the things that they ask him to do there. Um, uh, you know, I think he'll have obviously a better opportunity you know uh, in that that you know atmosphere and circumstances. So um, you know he throws the ball well. I mean, he's he's a calm guy. He can run. He can scramble. Um, he's still a great athlete. So you, you know you, you know you don't see anything you know abnormal there. Again, they, you know, again, we haven't really talked Notre Dame, so we'll get into Notre Dame. Um, obviously, Marcus Freeman's done an outstanding job here, I think, in his second season. And um, they got a talented team. When you put the tape on, you watch those, you know, shiny gold helmets, and they fly around and they look good. Uh, there's probably as good a looking team as you're going to walk out on, on game day and see. Um, and uh, and they, they play fast. All the receivers look like tight ends, they wear 80s numbers too. Which disguise them? You're not sure how many tight ends. Is there, you know, they play with four tight ends at times in formations, and they'll go all the way to play with four wideouts. Tailbacks are athletic, and you got Hartman. And defensively, Al Golden's running the defense. Um, and and uh, you guys know Al from back in Miami uh, was in the league for a while. Um, but uh, great coach has done a great job with their defense. Um, and again, four down. They're all physical. They're all fast. You know, you know, I can't sit there and focus on one guy because there's 11 of them. They, they, they're, they're they're talented. You know. A football team as you're going to face out there. Um, so we'll have our hands full. Uh, have you know a lot of guys on that staff that I know. Uh, start with Mike Mickens, coach him at corner. You guys saw him. Um, so it, it'd be a nice little reunion there. Max Bulla, one of our linebackers, is there on that staff as well. And Gino Gaduli, old Cincinnati quarterback, is quarterback coach. So there's some familiarity with their staff as well. And um, it'll it'll be a great challenge for our guys to go into South Bend. You know I think they're fired up last night to to close the chapter and, and move on. Right now, Sam is completing 64.5% of his throws with the Fighting Irish. 
for 1,838 yards. He's got 18 touchdown passes with three interceptions. He has also been sacked 11 times on the year. And we will see at least what appears to be, according to the Notre Dame depth chart released on Monday, changes at the wide receiver position. Rico Flores Jr. unseats Tobias Merriweather as the starting wide receiver at the field. The boundary is Jaden Thomas, now backed up by Jaden Greathouse, who shifts over from the slot. Chris Tyree is still the starter in the slot, but a newcomer to the depth chart, taking Greathouse's place as the backup, is the walk-on, the lacrosse player, Jordan Faison. So let's see if that changes the Notre Dame passing attack. Here's the thing. The last few teams have done the same thing against Notre Dame, where the basis of their defense emphasize in stopping the Notre Dame run. If you need to put an extra hat down there to stop the run, do it. Make Notre Dame throw. Duke did it at Ohio State. USC tried to do it. Louisville. And now this is what Pittsburgh does, so they really don't have to change a whole lot. They commit to stopping the run and forcing you to throw. After a bye week, after self-scouting, will we see something different involving this Notre Dame offense? Will Jared Parker, will he find the potion to break this spell, which has really slowed down the Irish offense. Again, Notre Dame put up 48 against USC, 14 of those by defense, special teams, touchdowns, short fields led to points, and credit to Notre Dame. They scored touchdowns, but the other drives, they did not do a whole lot against a USC defense that got torched by Utah last week. So looking forward to seeing if some of the changing in snaps amongst wide receivers, moving them around, if that helps this fighting Irish offense get going because you just got to be able to free up the run game by taking shots down the field. Well, when Notre Dame lines up on defense against Pittsburgh, they will see a familiar face. Now, I mentioned Phil Dracovic isn't starting at quarterback anymore, but the starting running back last week against Wake Forest was a Notre Dame graduate in Sebo Flemister. 105 rushing yards for Flemister against Wake Forest and really – it's been a situation where Pittsburgh kind of goes with the hot hand, and Sebo and Rodney Hammond had split the carries this year. In fact, for the season, Flemister 68 carries for 282, Hammond 60 carries for 247, both averaging 4.1 yards per carry. Here is Coach Narduzzi being asked. After what we saw against Wake Forest, where Sebo got a majority of the carries and had success. Is he now your starting quarter or your starting running back? Here's Pitt head coach Pat Narduzzi. You know, Sebo's been playing well the last couple of weeks, um, and uh, you know, again, he's you know, he's you know, he's also you know, helping lead our, our football team as far as just being a leader. Uh, he's, I think, he stepped up with the, the absence of a Matt Gonsalves. You know, he's be, he's become a really you know, kind of got some natural uh, leadership skills to him. Um, our guys have you know. Um, really bought into you know what he's all about he plays his tail off I mean he'll be on any special team so he's he's played hard um you know you know Rodney didn't start but Rodney he's good too we like them both you know we go with your hot hand and um and you know I think even late in the game coach Powell tried to put Rodney in the game and he's like coach he's hot let him go it was kind of like whoa I was kind of shocked by that you know uh kind of an unselfish move by him but I would have liked to got him more snaps the other day because uh, I think he's special as well. So we'll just, you know, we're going to play the hot guy and, 
you know, maybe Rodney rushes for 150 this week. So even though Flemister had 100 yards against Wake Forest, not guaranteed to be the full-time guy against his former team. Now, Vayer is going to need a running game in this ball game. Notre Dame right around 129 yards per game given up on the ground. That is 50th in the country, a little better than average. And they're going to face a quarterback that really needs a running game. And Christian Vayer again, comes over from Penn State. Now has the opportunity to run this Pittsburgh offense. He's completing 53% of his throws so far. 52 of 98 for 647. Five touchdowns and two interceptions. Wake Forest played a lot of cover, too. The safety's back. Corners playing off the receivers. So there was a lot of pitch and catch to the outside receivers in that ball game against Wake Forest. And Bayer did okay. In that ball game, at the end of the day, he was 28 of 45 for 302, two touchdowns and no interceptions, but a lot of gimme throws given to him by Wake Forest. Coach Narduzzi was asked to discuss the play of his young quarterback, Christian Bayer. Christian, I thought, played a pretty solid game. I mean, he took what the defense was giving him. He made some nice throws. Um, you know, he had a couple where, you know, you know, we'd say, you know, uh, mentally, don't go there, go there. Uh, a couple of those, which I don't know if a quarterback's ever gone through a game and had ones where he didn't have a couple of those. But I think, you know, he got better from the first game to the second game. I mean, he started off, you know, he started off, I don't know what it was, seven for seven or eight for eight or whatever it was. I mean, he was he was on fire. Uh, you know, they changed some stuff up. and But, you know, he made plays when he needed to. And, uh, again, we got to convert more first downs. I mean, I think we had three three and outs this past weekend. The week before, does anybody remember how many we had? Seven. I remember. So, you know, when you look at stuff like that, we're moving, you know, we won the time possession. The week before we didn't, we got, you know, crushed with it because you're going three and out seven times. You're not going to, uh, you're going you're gonna to struggle that way. Um, but uh, so they're getting better little by little. And um, you'd like to eliminate, the, you know, it's penalties. It's, it's, you know, a messed up coverage, you know, you know, not executing it properly. It's, you know, and not blocking the run game. I and mean, there's, like I said, there's stuff everywhere. I'm, you know, sitting there trying to plug holes everywhere. And that's kind of where we are right now at this point. I brought up the way Wake Forest played Pittsburgh for a lot of the game because you would expect Notre Dame defensive coordinator Al Golden to go a different way. They're going to put pressure on Vayer. Wouldn't you think that Al Golden's going to come after this young guy and not just let him sit in the pocket and throw some relatively easy balls to the outside? that he was able to do against Wake Forest. Plus, Notre Dame's got corners that if he wants to bring pressure, he they can play tight coverage and more than likely shut down the Pittsburgh wide receiving core. They've got a, a good core. they got Mumfeld and Means, who are their top two pass catchers with 30 and 20, respectively. Then it goes all the way down to tight end Gavin Bartholomew with 17. And then another receiver, Reynolds, has 11 catches on the air. But Mumfield is their top target. Means had a big touchdown catch late in the ballgame against Wake Forest. So Vayer is going to have to deal with Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison. And with the way the safeties are playing, you have a feeling there might be a couple of opportunities for the ball to be picked off and taken the other way by this Notre Dame defense. So it's not going to be pitch and catch for Vayer like it was at times last week against Wake Forest. And if you wait around, Pittsburgh is going to self-destruct. There's only a couple of teams in the country that commit more penalties per game than Pittsburgh. They're at nine penalties a ball game, 
and they had several penalties against Wake Forest that were self-induced, too much emotion, just doing silly things, and that's got to drive a guy like head coach Pat Narduzzi crazy. Sometimes you feel hated on, okay, and I don't share these with you. Um, I don't share these with you uh, weekly about what goes into the ACC office, and I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to talk about what comes back, what you know. But uh, sometimes you feel like you're, you know, it just needs to be called both ways. And sometimes you feel like it's not as a coach. Um, but I'll just talk about our penalties. You know, I brought a sheet in here just because we we talk about it all the time. Defensively, we had four aggressive penalties and two selfish. You know, you guys know what the two we call it selfish penalties when it's just like you know about you know. It's just not good, selfish. Uh, you know, the, the two by, you know, Donovan, who's apologized 10 times to me since the, the end of the game. He's crying after the game. I mean, he didn't mean to do it. He was, you know, just pulling a guy off the pile. And it was a, it was a penalty, um, what he did. You know, I don't know if the second one was real. Um, it looked like, you know, someone, you know, threw a shoulder into him. But, like, I'm not the official, you know, players play, coaches coach, and officials official. So we've got 6-2 and two Notre Dame hosting 2-5 and five Pittsburgh here right here on WSBT Radio pregame at 9 a.m. Kickoff a little after 3.30. Jim Arizari and Reggie Brooks after the game with the official Notre Dame football postgame show. All on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Show me the money. We go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sportsbeat continues on WSBT Radio. I'm kind of stumbling toward the finish line for the month of October. It's been an okay month, but not a great week here on our sports wagering segment. Two and two last week, or I should say two and two last night. We are 4 and 8 for the week, 36 and 29 for the month of October. My four suggestions from last night. The first one looked like it was not going to hit with the Pistons down 19 in the second half at Miami. I took the Pistons plus 9. They ended up going on a great run, only lost by 1 point so at minus 110 we bet 10 we won 1909. We went Jaden Ivey over 16 and a half points. He didn't start, only went 1 of 7 from the field. We took the loss there. Trailblazers plus nine at the Clippers. That did not work out. We had the Trailblazers at minus 110. And finally, from the NHL, Caps Devils over six and a half goals. They went over that number in the second period. We had that at minus 130, bet 10 to win 17.69. So again, four and eight for the week. Let's see if we can finish strong. We've got four picks for tonight, then our 10-pack of picks on tomorrow's program. Bills and Buccaneers tonight up in Buffalo. You can hear the game right here on WSBT Radio. It's Bills minus nine for the game. I broke it down. I went Bills first half minus five and a half against the Bucks at minus 112. Bills, Bucks over 21 and a half points in the first half at minus 110. From college football, I'm taking Georgia Southern on the money line against Georgia State at minus 120. And from the NHL, Anders Lee and the Islanders on the money line at home against Ottawa at minus 125. Good luck with your picks tonight. Budweiser's weekday sports be brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. 
Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. Legacy Heating and Air. Ask how you can get free maintenance for life and save like a champion today. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. And by South Bend Orthopedics, trusted in the community for 75 years. Have a wonderful evening. We've got Thursday night football coming up at the bottom of the hour. If you want to catch Irish hockey, I'll be on Quality Rock 94.3 FM in about 15 minutes. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 